0: start six five four three two one zero all engine running liftoff oh, i'm recording we are live this is how we're gonna start the episode off huh? yes sir jonathan <laughs> ye that did not go according to plan
1: that's fine that's fine how are you doing man i'm doing
0: fantastic how are you doing
1: you doing. Fa- why are you doing fantastic? I'm doing fantastic. But why are we doing fantastic? Because it's spring break. And, it's... and in spring break, we we are we going to be on break?
0: No, probably not. But it's well deserved, <laughs> well needed. I'm excited to be on break and like at least I don't have to attend class. I might be working a little bit, but I won't have to attend class, and you know, and the work won't continue to pile on.
1: Right, it won't pile on, and and I mean. There, there, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a couple of Cal Poly students out there that are in the program with us that are experiencing the same thing as us, but though work has not piled on, we thought we were ahead, right, Andrew? You and I. But for some reason, our professors, I personally have three projects that were piled on within the past week.
0: I and for I have you two.
1: Yeah. And two. I actually
0: just kind of finished one up. So I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, the see what's gonna what I'm afraid of is that we're, we're not going to work for the next week. So professors are going to want to make up for that work and then it's going to get really intense. So I'm fully expecting in two weeks to be having full on meltdown.
1: (laughs) As long as you brace for it, I think it won't hurt as much. Mm, I don't think that's how it works. Okay. All right. Well, we're going into like what week nine slash 10. I don't know. It depends on, I think whether or not you count spring break. Yeah. I don't know.
0: It's something like that. We we're around there.
1: Yeah, I think we have around six or seven weeks left before we're out of school and, you know, on with onto our summer break, but yeah.
0: Johnny, you're, you know, we haven't talked about this in a while either where you're falling behind in the running competition.
1: Oh, come on, man. Why don't you bring that up? Okay, Because
0: yeah. I have to let everybody know
1: Okay, where, right.
0: where the running competition stands, and I'm actually going to pull up the stats right now.
1: Don't. Oh, my gosh. Well, You don't want here, me to? No, you, you, know, you can bring it up, and then everybody's going to know how far ahead I am after the week.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. Cause now I feel like you're going to run all week and I won't be able to, but the current standing is I'm at 48 miles, 49 miles. You're at 22.
1: Oh, I thought you said you're 49 miles ahead of me. I was like, Oh my no, 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 God. No, no. Okay. I don't know if I can catch up to that, but 20, I, I'm at 22 at 48. So you got to make up about 20. 26. Yep. 26, 26 miles. All right. 26 miles. Well, Andrew, are you planning to run tonight? I <laughs> do. I have to now. No. I'm not going to run tonight. I don't have time for it, but I, I'm not going to run tonight, but I I will run tomorrow. And I know you're not going to run tomorrow. So,
0: you know, yeah. what, just because you said that I'm going to run tomorrow.
1: Do it. Do it. <laughs> I I'll, I'll you,
0: keep you so. posted.
1: All right, for sure. Well, <clears throat> as we are getting off tangent, that means we should get back on course. So, Mr. Denman. Before you gotta, that, before that. You gotta exc- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Before that. We got to know what you're drinking as you're, you know.
0: Oh, I almost forgot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I was literally just looking at it saying how... No mess. What am I drinking, Johnny? I am oh. drinking Santa Monica Brew Beach Brewed Inclined IPA. Oh, you like them IPAs, don't you? I do enjoy my IPAs. I'll let you know how this is after I take a, a sip of it. For sure. Oh, we got a pretty exciting episode this week. Why don't you tell everybody what it is?
1: Uh, I'll do it while you pour man. So... In lieu of this past month, we want to celebrate and honor internationally and also locally and, I don't know, nationally, all the women, and especially the women in STEM, right? And so, yes. Women's History Month. Women's History Month. And so, therefore, in doing that, we are going to talk about two prominent women in our field that we believe were extremely formative to the field itself, or are, are still being formative to the field. And so um, hopefully, I'm really excited to talk about it. I have a massive amount of respect for these two particular women. And of course, many, many women across you know the nation and internationally. And I, I do think that women have a place in STEM and I can go into it if, if need be, um, but yeah. I am excited to talk about this and I hope that this won't be an episode that is um necessarily special in the future, just because maybe in the future there will be so many women in STEM that it's like, ah, this remember when this was a thing. Wow, that was that's a a
0: great mindset to have. I really that's good. I like that.
1: Yeah. Like remember when in the past we had to like honor women because they were so sparse in STEM, but like maybe in the future it's like Yeah, that was the thing of the past. Now, like, women are, like, dominating it, which I think is perfectly fine with me.
0: They took over all the work.
1: Yeah, now we don't have jobs, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to
0: stick to podcasting. All right, so let's start this off. We got, I actually, we have the first person that we're speaking of. It's a really cool person. I mean, we don't know her personally, right? But shout out to my sister. You're right. I guess we don't know that. Shout out to my sister for sending me this person's um, information, I, I actually, before I did my research, I didn't know about this individual. Did you, Johnny?
1: I did not, but she sounds very cool, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about her. She, she does sound very cool, and I guess without further ado,
0: it's like we're introducing her, but she's not here. Uh, <laughs> Di- her, her name is Diana Trujillo, and she's actually a, a JPL engineer, uh, aerospace engineer, She's had quite an exciting uh uh career with with NASA, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, she so she currently works at JPL. She started off at at another, she was started off at uh Goddard Space Flight Center, which to to a lot of people, Goddard
1: is like the dream, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it, is one of a couple, I think.
0: Yeah, I think like it's one of those things where people are like, Oh, I want to, I wanna work for NASA, I want to work for Goddard. Like I remember when I went to NCAST, that was a lot of people's thought process, like. I really want to go work there, but um. Anyways, uh, she started off at Goddard Space Center. Now works at JPL. She's one of the uh, lead engineers on the mm-hmm. uh, Perseverance rover that just landed. Which, right. speaking of, not to get sidetracked again, the I don't know if you saw they dropped the cover for the In- ingenuity, right? Ingenuity, and now mm-hmm. we could finally see the little the little helicopter. It's so cute, four pound
1: helicopter. <laughs> Shout out to Will. That's his own thing, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Will and helicopters. He is the only helicopter person of
1: ours. (laughs) But yeah, go on.
0: Go on. Anyways. Um, but it's pretty fascinating her, her backstory. So you could read all about her online. Again, her name Mm -hmm. is Diana Truyo and, uh, she started off, she, she was, she is from Columbia. She came to uh, Miami. Um, and you know, she, she looked into careers and she saw how fascinating engineering was and STEM was. And from what I read, she just kind of fell in love with aerospace. Mm -hmm. and uh she actually decided you know she wanted first of course she needed to started to take uh english lessons at one of her local community colleges i'm assuming uh my miami dade college to be specific and she was a housekeeper at the time too so she Mm -hmm. was cleaning houses just to you know pay her rent feed herself you know uh i believe she had a daughter as well at some point while she was doing housekeeping as well That's crazy. Insane, right? Absolutely crazy. People that could do all that and have a child too. Dude. That's so much respect. We actually have a friend who's in a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. And as a guest soon. Yeah. Because he's like one of the most studious students we know. Oh man. And he has a kid. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, But so she uh, enrolled at the university of Florida in aerospace engineering. Mm-hmm. After taking her, you know, classes and whatnot at, at the community college. And um, she actually applied for the NASA Academy. Did you, did you know what the NASA Academy is?
1: I didn't, but I did want to ask you a question even before you got to that. Do you know how she got interested in aerospace?
0: I did not see how she got interested in aerospace. How did she get interested in aerospace?
1: So she was reading an article, I believe is a magazine, and it was talking about women in STEM. Mm. Yeah, so something along the lines of something along the lines of what we're doing right now, right? But you know, it was honoring women in STEM, and that inspired her to go into aerospace because she saw that there were some women in aerospace that were inspiring. And so I thought that was something really cool to point out because you know these like you know these things where we honor women, it really is effective. And, and these kinds of women that are they're you know, we can say they're trailblazers blazers are really setting course for other girls, younger girls and, you know, younger women to be able to go into these positions and have the confidence to do so. So just wanted to point that out, but yeah, proceed, please. No, it's, that's, that's a great point. And you're right. hundred percent. Right. But she actually,
0: so she applied for the NASA Academy. And, and for those of you that don't know, NASA Academy is a, like a leadership training program. Mm -hmm. for nasa that's supposed to put you know people in leadership positions in in different space flight centers and mission centers Mm -hmm. and you know you got to think about it when it's pretty it's really important because you're dealing with these like insanely complex missions you have to be you know put into these academies and whatnot but that's besides the point look at nasa academy if you want to learn a little bit more but she became the first hispanic woman to uh get accepted to the nasa academy did you know that wow that is
1: i mean and I mean, Diana Trio is relatively young in comparison to, you know, out of a lot of probably people, historically speaking, she's still, you know, she's still working at JPL. And yeah, yeah, I think she was born in 1980. So that puts her at, you know, she's, she's not older than, I want to say, what, 42 years old? Something like that, right?
0: 38.
1: Is my math off? Maybe she's not born in 1980. But 83. 80, okay, there you go. See, so approximately, right? But she's relatively young in comparison to a lot of other people that we could potentially talk about.
0: Hey, man, so. it's okay. We know your math's just a little bit off. Hey, I said
1: 1980, <laughs> so my math would have been almost on point. I was off by a year. However, I think it's still crazy that in 2021, we're 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 getting these firsts, right? I think and it's it pretty crazy. Mind. Yeah.
0: Well, let me clarify, too, because I think this is also important. She was the first Hispanic immigrant woman but it's still okay. crazy, right? That still, like, yeah, it still is. And and you're right, like a lot of the things you hear about, like oh, the first this, right, first that, whatever it is, it's still, it's either happening still recently, or like mm-hmm. it happened a few years ago, or you know, I'm sure there's, there, of course, there's more, there's always going to be a first, I guess, um, and there it's going to be in the future as well. But we're slowly knocking them down and breaking through them. But yeah, it's really crazy. It's a really good point to make. That yeah this is recent, right? This happened yeah. in, I, I don't have an exact year for that, but it's, it's, it's within 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Some,
1: some, some 2010, maybe 2000, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So
0: she's had quite the career at NASA. So like I said, she started off at Goddard, but then transferred to JPL, I'm assuming. Um, mm-hmm. And she was, uh, she, she was working on the ro- robotic arms for the past Rover. She was actually the lead. So for Perseverance, she was the lead in the robotic arm. And it's the, the I watched a video of her explaining her work on it. It's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. But she also had part in Curiosity's rover arm. Right. And the, uh, uh, something that they, NASA called a uh, surface sampling system activity lead. That's her position. And she was working on the dust removal tool right. as a systems engineer. And systems engineering is something you know pretty well, Johnny. Is that not right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I both, we're kind of doing that in a project of our own, but. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, honor to her, man. She, yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll be like her one day. Maybe. You <laughs> <I> can,
0: <would. laughs> but you don't like space. You like planes. You like air.
1: Hey, I like everything, man. I like everything <laughs> that has to do with air and space. Don't get me wrong. Hey, I grew up on those Isaac Asimov books. But
0: That's, that's right.
1: Yeah. There you go. So
0: she uh, has since in 2007, she earned a b- bachelor's in aerospace from the University of Maryland. And something really cool. I don't know if you caught this on her story about her. Her story was actually turned into a children's book. Did you know that
1: I did hear that, yes.
0: The book is titled Mars Science Lab Engineer. And it's by Carl Cornell and Fatima Khan. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to check that, that would be cool. You know, a child that that's a really good book if you have a kid. Yeah. And you want to, you know get them interested in STEM early and show them that, you know, these boundaries are meant to be broken. Right. Right. Yeah. That is, I mean, there's plenty more about her, uh, but, and she's had quite a fascinating career, but is there anything? Oh, you know what? We talked about this before I was going to forget something and we literally talked about it and I forgot it. So go ahead and go ahead and say it. Cause I know you're just waiting.
1: Well, what, what was I going to say? I don't remember. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I remember. So Diana Trujillo was the person to, I guess, do the Spanish language transmission for NASA uh, of the planetary landing of the Perseverance. And this was the first one ever. So if you guys remember our episode about the Perseverance landing, she's the one that actually um, did the, I guess, Spanish version of what we were hearing in English. And so I think that's really, I mean, again, that's another first, right? It's, it's shocking, though, because we're in 2021, and that's something that happened probably approximately a, a month to a month and a half ago now.
0: Yeah, about a month. And she's doing uh, tweets on her uh, Twitter as well mm-hmm. um, in in Spanish, giving us updates of the, the Perseverance rover and Ingenuity. Uh, but also, I almost forgot as well, uh, a really cool thing that she's doing, because her career – and her work extends outside of NASA as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny, we were actually discussing before, she is a Brooke Owens Fellow. Mm-hmm. And do you know
1: what a Brooke Owens Fellow is? Well, we discussed it, but I you didn't really go too much into detail. I'd like to know, actually. You, you kind of left me on a cliffhanger, actually. So please yeah. tell me.
0: I, so I would love to. So <laughs> Brooke, Brooke Owens Fellowship is a program that is basically uh, trying to encourage uh women minorities to engage in stem specifically in aerospace mm-hmm. so it's a fellowship program that you know I, I believe it's the number is 40 40 young women engineers stem students apply to and they are paired with a mentor that and mm-hmm. and one of these mentors happens to be diana Trujillo, and typically these mentors work in like high executive uh engineering positions, lead positions. So they're, they're great mentors and have plenty of experience. Mm -hmm. And they also uh, give you a internship with uh, one, one of the major companies. I'm looking at the list. Some of them include Airbus, NASA, um, ULA, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, all these major aerospace companies. There's other ones too, Voyager, Zipline, all -hmm. these companies that you, you know, have great experience and interning with. Um, and it's a really great program because they they push you into the or they put you into these positions and you really get to grow, you get to network, you get to connect, um, and you have imagine having somebody like this as your mentor, yeah, helping you through your education and your your early career, right? Because an internship yeah. is part of your early career. Right. Who better? Like what better situation could you have, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely absolutely needed too. Because I feel like so many women are like, they feel isolated in engineering, particularly. Like we we have to admit that uh, women in our our classes are few and far between. There's not many, but I think it's it's really effective when you put someone in such a prestigious place like Diana to be able to lead in that kind of way and be able to nurture some of these people, some of these girls. So yeah, Yeah. I agree.
0: So if you are a women in STEM and, you know, maybe feeling a little bit lost, you know, you know, don't know where to go. Look into the Brooke Owens fellowship. You, you could apply the website has all the information and you could be one of the people that, you know, gets that next internship and maybe Diana will be your mentor. That'd be very Very, cool. If that happens, you know,
1: reach Diana, please reach out to us. (laughs) We'd like you on the podcast.
0: We, we, we (laughs) want
1: to shout out. Yes, please. Yeah. (laughs) So that is Diana Trujillo. Awesome. That is, so she's, I I would say that if we were to kind of chunk it up, you know, she's a trailblazer that's a little bit more modern, but I wanted to, you know, so Andrew, Andrew did Diana Trujillo and I wanted to introduce someone that she was a a trailblazer early on in the 60s. And she also happened to work for NASA Um, and she worked for one of the more, I guess you'd say um, iconic missions. From For NASA, would you say it's iconic?
0: I would say it's the most iconic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, our, our podcast intro is kind of based off of it as well, right, to a certain extent. And so the person that I'd like to introduce is Margaret Hamilton. And she is a mathematician and also a computer scientist. And she has a huge legacy behind her. Um, but something that a lot of people may know her for beyond what she's done and her accolades for NASA is that she coined the term. She coined the term um, software engineering, and she has good reason behind it. And so it's it's, it's kind of crazy because now we hear software engineering all the time, right? And it's it's become a bit of a. I would say you can argue that it's become something of like as we've applied for internships, a lot of them ask for people that are in computer like. Computer engineering, or software engineering, or computer science—they're all kind of—they're not exactly synonymous all with each other, but they all kind of dabble in, in you know, software. And so, I, I think I, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, go on.
0: I think that I was told um, when I was at when I was at NASA because I got to visit a NASA center um, mm-hmm. that two engineer two engineering internship the internship positions are are always um, they're always hiring more than others. So of course, you they hire mechanical and aerospace, but the their main focus is NASA and a lot of other companies want to bring on electrical engineers and software engineers. Yes, Those are yes. the two highest engineers in demand.
1: Yeah. And I have to entirely agree with that coming from somebody that's now put in over, I want to say 200 applications to internships, right? And I know I'm in aerospace, but I have apply to software and electrical engineering internships and I'm just shocking it out there and uh, because it's a numbers game, but yeah, it, it's, it's become a very big, big field now. But the crazy thing is back, back in the sixties uh, this was not a major, it was not a field. It was something that was kind of hush, hush. Um, so Margaret Hamilton was, a, she played a really big part in making software engineering software to be as big as, as it is now. And she actually laid a lot of the groundwork for how a lot of people now approach software. So um, a lot of, it, it's shocking because a, a lot of this stuff early on in engineering, um, the things that we learn in school in terms of, like we learn about Bernoulli, we learn about Gauss, we learn about Newton, they're all men, but it just so happens to be that one of the biggest fields that are growing that is growing now today happens to be impacted and largely in due part to Margaret Hamilton. And I, I don't want to you know, take out other people that have played a part in it, but Margaret Hamilton definitely did have a huge impact. And so that was a really big preface, but I'll, I'll just get into it right away. Yeah. Andrew, is there anything else you want to say before I get into it, though?
0: No, no, I think you did. I think it's just crazy to think about if if we want to get a little sidetracked that could you imagine learning something like just imagine if what what we're going to school for, if we opened a textbook and there was no information about that sp- particular thing. Like there's yeah. basically, I would say 99% of the time, a problem that we're working on our project, whatever it is, we have a reference for it, right? We never oh, yeah. have to just like create stuff. We never yeah. have to, you know, develop our own theorems. Right, right. Way of uh, doing these problems. It's just crazy to think that back then, back in the sixties, they had this idea that said, Hey, let's go to the moon. And they were like, with what, computer and they're like, oh, we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're setting a really good stage for what is actually going to happen. And that's kind of how it went. So yeah, let's get into it right away. So Margaret Hamilton was born in Indiana, Paoli, Indiana. And she she grew up in, in a family and um, her dad was, I believe in STEM and her mom was, um, I forget, honestly, I'm sorry about that. But anyways, she had it. <laughs> Margaret herself had an inclination for mathematics. I'm sorry. It's because I did research into Margaret and the rest of her family. i just like cracking up right now. Uh, um, but she had an inclination for mathematics. And this is something that I found extremely, extremely interesting. And this is what she said herself. She said, I liked deriving the answers because memorizing them was too much. So that's such a weird concept to me. Like, okay, <laughs>
0: let's take another break let's get sidetracked again. Have you ever had that professor that you're like, Hey, can we get an equation sheet? And they're like, no, you don't need an equation sheet. If you forget the formula, to derive it yourself.
1: I, I feel like I might have, but I might've been so traumatized by it that I, I might've erased them from my brain.
0: Okay. I wish I had that ability because I've had plenty of those professors and that's, ah, uh, bless her soul for being able to do that. But that's not for me.
1: Well, she had an inclination for mathematics. And or, I mean, I, that, that is a good way to do it. We, sometimes, Andrew, I think, I don't know if you complain about this, but sometimes I complain a little bit too much about professors proving things and then having an hour-long lecture and then finally giving us that one magic golden ticket equation that we're just going to use for the rest of the semester.
0: Golden goose.
1: Golden goose. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she's—you know, she's different from us. She liked deriving the answers because memorizing them was too much, which I think is crazy, but that just shows, you know, who she is. And she ended up studying mathematics at the university of Michigan. However, she ended up transferring to Earlham college. And she ended up graduating from there with a bachelor's of arts in mathematics with a minor in philosophy. And this reminds me now that her dad actually was a philosopher himself. So I was wrong. He was not himself. Um, that? Uh, maybe philosophy isn't some. My understanding is it's not. But if you guys want to correct me out there, you guys can. Uh, she ended up, after she, after she came out with her bachelor's, she got married relatively young. Um, and she got married to James Cox Hamilton. And this is when she you know, tacked on her last name being Hamilton now. And James Cox Hamilton came out as a chemist, but he ended up going into Harvard Law, which is I think is, is, is so weird because you, you come out as a chemist and you end up in law. And while he was in law, the expectation was for Margaret Hamilton to be a stay at home wife. They ex- like the expectation of, I guess, Harvard wives is what they called them. <laughs> Andrew's cool. shaking his head. Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is, a, you know, I would say like the 70s, maybe 80s. I don't know. Right. But stay at home wife. And I think the line that was used was they expected her to pour him tea, which I think is very interesting. Um, I I mean I like coffee, but there we go. Pour him tea. That's I guess that's a signifier of staying at home. And she refused this. She was like, no, that's not what I want to do. Um, I want to support in a different way. And this is how how much of a absolute, you know, prominent person she is. I think she's like, I, I am instead gonna support my husband financially because he's he's in school, he's not making money. I'm gonna work at MIT. <laughs> And I'm a work in the instrumentation lab, and she ended up directing MIT's software engineering division. I and saw so,
0: that. It was that Draper Laboratory, or is that Sage? I
1: I believe it was Draper, but you cannot quote me on it. I just know that it was at MIT, and she was quite. Um, I mean, she was the head of it, and and she called it software engineering. And actually, if I want to get into this right now, the term of software engineering she created. But at the time, a lot of people didn't think that software engineering wasn't actually actually a thing, and so people really made it a joke. They were like, "Yeah, like they thought she was joking about it." And she said that the reason behind her using the, the coining the term software engineering was because people didn't think it was a legitimate uh, major, didn't think it was a legitimate thing to do. Um, a lot of the ways that people learned software engineering back then and software in general was it was word of mouth. So if if i don't know if you this this sounds really archaic but this is in the 1960s when we had books when we had you know early forms of computers and we had printing we had the printing press for probably hundreds of years and they were learning software by word of mouth and i was like what's what's wrong with our nation what's wrong with the world cuz now you can get any book that you want on software but i'm pretty sure there's some other you know new thing out there that we haven't necessarily picked up on that is yet to you know kind of get printed itself but it just blew my mind because software engineering is so big now it's like absolutely enormous but you know in the 1960s 1970s this stuff was you were taught by another person someone else had to teach you it you couldn't learn on your own by book as Andrew was saying and so um, she used the word software engineering as a form of legitimizing it and it eventually took on Um, and she wanted it to be equated and given the same amount of reverence to that of uh, mechanical engineering uh, hardware engineering, all of these other engineerings that she wanted to say, no, this is on the same level and ended up becoming that right in the future. But she, she was a pretty hard uh, trailblazer in that aspect.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, I just looked over at, I'm looking at a page of some of the stuff that she worked on and she, I, I don't mean to, I don't want to spoil it. So I gonna maybe you'll cover this too, but she did work on some, a particular piece oh, yeah. of flight software, right? Yes, and- sir. Uh, actually, before I get into it, I'll let you take the lead because I feel like this will be more fitting after we learn about some of her projects.
1: Right, right. Dang. Andrew, you just keep on setting me up, man. What a what, what a great podcast host. Like, no, hey, no, it's a good thing. Co-host I'm, right
0: there. I'm here for you for, in this podcast. We're in this together.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So as Andrew was prefacing, um, Margaret ended up, she, she, after her husband came out of law, Um, Harvard Law. She ended up finding her time spent at NASA. She got picked up by NASA. And this was in 1965. And at the time, they were trying to get to the moon. This was during the Apollo missions. And they didn't originally have, they meaning NASA, didn't originally have a a large inclination for software. And they didn't think it was going to be that important to the mission. But as they slowly progressed through the mission, uh, through through designing this mission, they, they realized that uh, software was going to be very important. And it was going to be the thing that let them beat the Russians or the USSR. And so they were like, okay, we need to bring someone in. Who can we bring in? And they were like, Margaret Hamilton is a person. And they brought in Margaret Hamilton. And she started developing a lot of the software behind it. And this is crazy because this was something that was not necessarily done before. So she was really building from scratch because now everybody nowadays everybody knows how to, you know, build software based off of previous experience. But this was the first time ever that software was really being introduced in, and so she was really building from the ground up. So she ended up building um, simulation software for the astronauts so that they can practice on ground. And she also, like Andrew was saying, um, created the software that helped land the Apollo Eleven. Eagle, the lander on the moon. And this may not seem so, I guess, crazy when you look into it, but back then they had really, really limited computing power. And so it was so limited that if I pull up the numbers here, if I recall correctly, only the 13% of the processing power of that computer was given to the radar and 87% of it was given to landing and so let's imagine you, you have 13% given to the radar, 87% given to landing, and you're about to land and you have radar on landing. Like what else are you gonna do with your, your you know, there's other things that need to be done with the computer, right? But like maybe uh, like health and status, right? How much oxygen you may have, I don't know. I don't know what, ne- what necessarily went into the lander, but there's more things that happen beyond landing and radar. And yet, you know, this is the amount of power that they had for computing. And these are things that um, Margaret Hamilton had to consider. She had to consider how to appropriately manage the computing power. And something that she actually brought to the forefront was, hey, in the case that there something goes wrong, like there's going to be an error message coming up. What do we do? Like h- how are we going to go about approaching this error? And depending on what sequence of the mission we're in, like how should we approach it? And she said, no, I think what we need to do is make the computer, Prioritize the most important event, not sequential events. And that may sound kind of obvious now, but imagine you're uh, you're about to land, um, but maybe you know there's certain you know aspects that are required, certain sequences that are required to get to that point. Um, and maybe those sequences don't happen, but you're still in the process of landing. Uh, it's probably a good idea that your computer handle the landing instead of trying to go back to those other sequences prior and. Uh, I'm probably not doing the best job of explaining this, but she was like, we need to make it so the computer prioritizes that aspect because landing is extremely important in comparison to other aspects of the mission. And so um, what ended up happening was during the mission, uh, there was an error that did happen. And the I guess the error that came up was, a, do we continue on with this mission or do we stop the mission? And the the computers were sending information to, Uh, the ground what is what is it in Houston and Houston saw these messages and saying oh wait this is an error uh, in part due to something an astronaut did wrong and it's not an error in in part due to something that's actually happening like something actually dangerous happening you need to go and proceed with the landing and um, the computer didn't have that computing power but what it did was it rebooted and it was able to understand what was priority and it and and, and the astronaut said we're going to land and they ended up landing so I may not be doing justice to the entire process of this. Maybe, Andrew, you can, and you can add in on. But my understanding was she was extremely pivotal to this aspect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you you did a good job. It Like, if you want a, an example that's maybe more tangible but has far less consequences, like, imagine if you were using your phone with very limited memory and you were listening to music, let's say, and mm-hmm. you got a phone call. And because you're, you're listening to music, your phone says, hey, I'm not going to... P- I'm not going to pick up the phone call until my music we're done listening to music. Right. 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 Oh, that's and good. So, so that what she created was a, that, that message to say, Hey, you're getting a phone call. Which one do you want to do? Which one's more important. And for, in this example, the phone call would be more important. We'd think. And unless it's like one of those spam calls where you get those calls <laughs> and it's like, Hey, your warranty is about to expire. Then just keep listening to the music. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, she, she created that, that little software, but they you know, the consequences for the example is that you miss a call, but consequences for the Apollo mission is that astronauts will basically crash into the moon, right?
1: Possibly, yeah. And so it's really important. And so that's actually you know brings up another good thing, good point. Um, this was the first time developing software for you know, landing on the moon. And so in order for that to be successful, uh, Margaret Hamilton had to actually put a lot of thought into how to design the software. And the requirements for the software, because this is something that is a lot more synonymous with spacecraft or uh, launch vehicles. But launch vehicles, it goes up once or it doesn't go up at all. And it comes crashing down. Same thing with spacecraft. You, it only goes up once, you only get one chance at it. And then you have to rebuild out of that. You know. And so something really important for Margaret Hamilton, and this was really hard for her to do, was she had to ensure that this worked the first time. It had to be extremely reliable and they also needed to perform error detections and recovery in real time, which is really hard at the time with uh, the computing power that they had. And so that was another thing that actually added into it because we you, you don't only have radar and landing. Right. But you also have to um, perform error detection using sensors and, um, you know, figure out ways to be able to resolve those errors. And that's all, all the things that the computers had to do. And so or the computer had to do. And so it's kind of crazy that she was managed. She managed to create and build a software that landed us on the moon. And I think this is a really common saying I heard. I want to say like a couple years ago, I think this is when the iPhone five came out, but they were saying that the iPhone five was a stronger computer than that of the landing soft, the, the landing computer, the, the computer that landed, you know, the first the two moon. men on the moon. Yeah. So I think right. it's crazy. Uh, these are all things that she had to consider. Like another thing that I, I remember her considering, and this is going a little bit back is, she would bring her daughter to work. And this is an issue that and this is getting into something that's, um, you know, an issue that's still happening to this day. But oftentimes, what would happen is the husband would be working. And then the the wife would be at home taking care of the kids. But Margaret was not quite like that. She was a little counterintuitive to the culture at the time. And so she would have to bring her daughter to work. And she was working on the simulation software. She was working on uh, being able to you know, I guess, simulate how landing on the moon would be like. And sometimes her daughter was able to go inside and just pretend to be an astronaut. (laughs) And so she would go inside and she would mess around with the different switches inside because there were a lot of switches inside the lander and a lot, you know, all these little buttons and her daughter ended up messing up or breaking the code, breaking the software. And it was because her daughter decided to do something that wasn't meant to be. In sequence. So maybe if the if the process was supposed to be step one, two, three, four, she ended up doing step four, you know, for the first step. And that broke her code that broke Margaret's code that broke NASA's code for landing. And she was like, she, she realized, Margaret Hamilton realized, like, wait, this is an issue. What if the astronauts end up doing this while they're trying to land? And NASA's response to this was, that would never happen because we vet our astronauts and we train them really well. They're perfect. And Margaret was like, nobody's perfect. And she kept on fighting for it. And they finally, they're like, fine, fine, fine. We'll, we'll let you implement software that would ensure that in the case that something like that happens, you know, nothing dire happens. And actually, you know, as I said earlier, the astronaut made a mistake. I don't know. I don't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Buzz or um, Neil, but one of them made a mistake and, and ended up causing a bunch of errors. But luckily, according to uh, what I've read, Margaret did she accounted for all these different scenarios and that's what allowed the lander to land successfully. That's what allowed for the mission overall to be successful. And so, uh, you know, I, I just, it just blows my mind that she really laid the groundwork for what we, how we approach software now today. And a lot of these things may sound really obvious now, but back in the day, um, and, and this, this sounds all obvious for me too, because I, I, I learned coding as well. And to a certain extent, I, I probably don't know, um, Coding as well as Margaret does, I don't know, right? Probably not, right? I'm not, I'm not a computer scientist myself, nor am I a software engineer. But hearing her step and her having to understand and build the building blocks for how we approach software, it just blows my mind because I, you know, you have to think of so many different scenarios, and she had through trial and error figured out this is the way we approach software. So, yeah, I think that's really crazy. Um, yeah, I but, mean, yeah. yeah oh, on.
0: sorry for interrupting, but it's, you know, you could make the argument that basically none of the air vehicles that we have today would be the same if it wasn't for her, right? Because you, you yeah. make those leaps and bounds early on. We're able to make so much development in the time since then. Um, you know, you you don't get on a plane today that isn't controlled by some sort of flight software. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Every single vehicle that you get in, whether it's an air vehicle, like obviously you're only getting well, us, we're, we're only getting in airplanes, right? But airplanes helicopters launch vehicles um, satellites whatever it is it's all controlled by some form of uh, flight hardware yeah uh, sorry it, flight software
1: yeah and, and not only that but software is now bleeding into our, our cars as well right right and that and that's all that all really does stem from Margaret which blows my mind because we we started off with having software handle our landing on the moon but now we're having software drive us around sometimes or do other things for us like automated and so I mean it, it's kind of Crazy to say this, but she really did set a precedence for how software is going to be used with hardware and the relationship with hardware um, by doing what she did for the Apollo 11 mission. And and she also worked on other missions as well. And so it just blows my mind. Uh, But I guess this is going into where like her legacy lies and she has a pretty large legacy. So she ended up working for the other Apollo missions as well. And she worked on the software for that. And she also worked on the Skylab, which is the first ever U.S. uh, space station. And it, like, like I said earlier, she was um, she founded the Universal Systems Language, which is USL, which is the foundation for modern software engineering techniques. And so that you know, I I would in debate to say I would say that what she's developed in the past is is like in our pockets is is used in our computers or it's most likely used in some form of our life, whether, I mean, I don't know where ULS is or USL, sorry, USL, it's universal systems language. I don't know where it's entirely used, but I'm pretty sure the roots of a lot of the devices we use around us or electronics have some form to take from USL. And so, yeah,
0: or, or are like derived from it. Right. Exactly. Has some link in some way Mm -hmm. deep down the rabbit hole.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, this is all, this is all due to Margaret Hamilton. And then on top of that, one of the more recent legacies that I I would like to include into our podcast is um, she got the presidential medal of freedom from president or our previous president, president Obama in 2016. And this is considered the highest civilian honor in the United States. And so she got that. And so, um, you know, in, in conclusion, this lady is amazing. She's amazing. And A lot of respect towards her you know she fought a lot of uh i guess cultural norms back in the day and she really did set a path for other women and and minorities right because that you know we all kind of chunk into that and to you know pursue stem to pursue things like this and to because people were telling her you should pour some tea and she was like no it's good i'll I'll just go to mit
0: yeah
1: so um i'm yeah no that's really cool and and like
0: that just goes to show that right like if you are a woman in stem and you're like it i'm sure there's a lot of difficulties that come with with you know being in quote-unquote a man's field in stem Mm -hmm. Um, but you could break through those doors right you could break through those, those barriers and you know keep pushing um i've seen firsthand i feel like in some of the cases and and you know, this could be a whole episode on its own, but I feel like in some cases I've been in meetings, uh, especially in zoom and, and granted, you know, zoom is sometimes hard to time to get timing, but some of the, the women's STEM engineering students I work with, I feel like sometimes don't necessarily have their voice heard as much as they should. And a lot of the time they have really good input. I uh, oftentimes it's, it's better, right? We're all students, but it, it it's, you know, it's all of their, their thoughts and, and points are valid. Um, mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, sometimes they, they fall on um, deaf ears and, and, you know, that that's not okay. Right. That's not what we right. want. Right. Um, So if you are in that position and you, you ever feel discouraged, just know that, you know, things are changing and, you know, you got to keep fighting basically. And, and, you know, we are here for you and we got to celebrate women in engineering and, and all kinds of fields too.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. And I, I mean, I come from a place where like I taught students in STEM. I taught students in computer science and I find myself seeing girls succeed more than guys do or girls succeed more than like the, the, the boys in the class. And um, I, I have full faith that women have a place in STEM and should, you know, the, the way that it happens to be right now is extremely skewed. And I'm hoping that, you know, in our lifetime, we, we'll, we'll see that, that percentage continue to change and, and start to even out. And uh, yeah, like I entirely agree with you. I, I think that sometimes we um, lack the ability to, I guess, see that we are, I guess, con- con- I guess condoning and endorsing a certain culture. But yeah. um, doing something like this, or you know, having a month that recognizes it—I I know it's a small thing, but I think it's a small thing that can actually push um, the right idea across and the right culture across.
0: Yeah. Actually, you bring a really good point that, you know, sometimes we do condone that behavior and it, it, you know, nobody wants to have that, or most people don't want to have that, like that confrontation, that awkward conversation, like, Hey, so-and-so just had a really good point. Let's not like speak over him or her, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I encourage people to do it. And, you know, I, I'm guilty. Sometimes I've missed opportunities to do that myself. But, mm-hmm. and, and you not it's not coming from a hostile place. It's just coming from a place that you want equality, right? For all people, everybody is a voice to be heard.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, like, I, I mean, like, we, we want the best for everybody. And we want, you know, in this case, with this episode coming out, uh, we, we find a lack somewhere and we want to fill that lack and that void. And so um, I have a, a massive amount of respect for Margaret Hamilton. And I just got really excited hearing and listening about her because for me, I come from a, a portion of my background is computer science and to hear that she really pioneered it. It just blows my mind. And and then also the same thing with Diana Trujillo. She, she actually, I mean, I might add a little bit more onto here, but she, she came to the states when she was 17 and she only had 300 dogs in her pocket yeah um, and you know for someone to work from being a maid or like you know a housemaid to becoming a person that was doing the NASA transmission for the perseverance mission or the Mars mission 2020 in Spanish is a massive jump and it's it's, it's from somewhere that's so humble to really jump that high. Um, And be in a place like that, it just blows my mind. And I really do hope that more and more people, uh, more and more women, more and more girls really feel encouraged and get pushed to go into this kind of field.
0: Yeah, I actually, I had like, I really was super excited. I got to speak to my old physics professor and his Mm -hmm. current class of um, physics students. And it's the first physics class that you take in the series. So it's like your first real introduction to STEM. That's not math. Yeah. And I remember when I, I mean, we talked about this and we could talk about this for hours, but I remember being in that position and I told them basically like, Hey, I know when I was in your guys' position and especially with zoom going on, I probably wouldn't like, I don't think I'd be able to push through it at times. Um, But the reason I brought that up is because you say, you know, like going from being a maid to being a NASA engineer to some would sound crazy. And some people would probably like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you tell them, Hey, I want to work for NASA. Cause when I was at JC, I had a conversation with a friend I said, Hey, I want to work for NASA. He laughed at me. He said, Oh, you're being serious. I said, yeah. And, and what I told hmm. the students the other day was it's very possible, like, Oh yeah. It, it's way more possible to work for a big company and to work on like us, like on the next moon mission. Then you realize, so oh, yeah keep fighting
1: for it don't give up i 100% agree and like we're finding that to be something right we're finding that it's a lot more tangible cuz we we're, we're getting to the i guess almost the finish line of our career in education and we're we're finding ourselves you know getting closer to the fact that me working on planes and you uh, possibly working on space systems or you know launch vehicles and spacecraft and so it's it's a, a definite possibility it's more plausible than you think,
0: so just yeah. keep that in the back of your mind. If anybody tells you otherwise, don't listen to them. You know, there's a place for you in STEM, for men right. and women, all minorities, and yeah. and that's a you know a great mindset to have. I think.
1: Yeah, it's a joke when you know when, you know I I always joke. When people are like, oh yeah, it's not rocket science, and and I'm like, yeah, I will. What what I do sometimes is rocket science, but it's not that whole pizzazz. Like I mean, it's cool, but it it can be done, and it it's really not as Unfathomable. It, it's really, it really is fathomable. Like, and I'm speaking from a place where I haven't learned everything yet, but at least coming from someone that's a college student that's going through the process, it definitely is something that is doable.
0: I so, 100% agree.
1: Yeah. With that being said, that concludes our episode for today. But we always follow up with a couple of things before. And so, before anything, we, we haven't done this in a while, but Andrew, I wanted to ask you, how was that beer, man?
0: Oh, it's pretty good. It's light. It's not, you know, it's a different IPA than I've I've really ever tried. It's like way lighter than I expected. Actually,
1: really, really so, so I'm still sipping on it. Oh, uh, so if you were to recommend, would you recommend this to people that haven't tried IPA and maybe maybe no. adverse to bitter?
0: Well, maybe maybe if they're like they've tried beers but they've never maybe tried an IPA. I think it's like a good beginner IPA, if you will. I see. How about for people that don't like IPAs?
1: I don't think you're gonna love it. Okay, you think it's more manageable than other IPAs? Though?
0: Yeah, it's not like, like I have you ever tried Stone? No. It's some of Stone's IPAs are very bitter and harsh, and ah. you know, I I enjoy some of them. I don't enjoy all of them. There's some right. that I've tried, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. But
1: I you see, know, maybe noted. we'll have we'll have some of those on the show too. Yeah, duly noted. Yeah, you want to shout out that beer again one more time for other people to hear? Yeah.
0: Santa Monica Brewworks Beached Brewed Inclined IPA.
1: It's quite a name. It's quite a name. So inclined if you guys, IPA. Santa
0: Monica Brewworks. Yeah, if you guys us. want to hear
1: it again, just rewind, please. I don't want to hear Andrew say that again. In my tongue <laughs> my twist his tongue there. But yeah, all right, for sure. And last but not least, normally we have a question in our emails, but you guys seem to be really satisfied with the content that we put out. So you guys like, well, we're, Johnny and Andrew are asking or answering all these questions that we have. So we don't have to really respond with an email. So instead, I decided this time to provide a question for my dear friend here, my handsome man, Andrew. <laughs> I sound like, you sound like one of our professors. <laughs> that was Not intentional. Gonna say who. Yeah, that was intentional. But I have a question for you. And I think this is just a it's a fun question to think about. And I think it might put into perspective, I'm like, oh, so I don't know this about Andrew either, because sometimes these questions we ask, we might know a little bit about, but I actually don't know the answer to this one. So Andrew, if you could choose any past engineering project, historically speaking, right, or even, even being worked on right now across any field, what project would you want to have worked on or would you want to work on?
0: If I could choose, uh, I mean, of course, if we t- I could do both. I'll do both, and I'll keep it quick. The the, uh, if I if I could choose the past one, I would do the, of course, the moon, the Apollo mission. Uh, one of the okay. Apollo missions, probably the probably the landing, because I think that, you know, I think the Saturn V was a really incredible, fascinating launch vehicle, which we could have an episode on if you guys would like that. Yes, email us if you guys want that. Um, yes. but on the other hand, if I could choose. My future project, as you've heard me say before, I really want to be on a, a project that sends something to another planet. Mm-hmm. I would probably want to work on the moon, the next moon mission. Um, so the
1: Artemis missions.
0: I would love to be a part of the Artemis missions. I think that the 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 multi phase missions that they're carrying out. And um, so I we talked about it briefly, and I call I poorly called it the moon ISS, but it's called the gateway. So the oh, gateway is cooler yeah the gateway is basically um it's going to be an uh, an uh iss basically orbiting the moon and from there they're going to use it to refuel and go to mars at some point that's the idea but if right. i could work on artemis um i would love to be part of that mission i think it's super fascinating right. and actually one of the people we know is working on artemis um and i think it's super incredible is it one of our professors no, it is one of our, our, our friends in
1: engineering that is actually graduating. Wow. Wow. Well, well, hopefully we can bring that person in as a host or not a host, a guest as well. <laughs> a host just replace me, Andrew. You're like, oh, this guy's so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. All right. For sure though. Art, dude, I didn't know it's called gateway. That's really, that's really apt because it is the gateway to Mars in a sense, right?
0: Yeah. If I could work on that, um, and then yeah, that's, that's, that's it there. I mean, if I could do Mars, uh, Mars mission too, I'd love mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. That'd be really incredible. But if I could be a part of, you know, one of those missions, I think Artemis is really cool. The SLS is crazy. It's super yeah, cool. It'll I be agree. the most powerful rocket ever developed when it does um, come out, when it does, <laughs> when it does
1: come out, you know, but it's yes. on the
0: NASA timeline. So,
1: ah, uh, Yes. I mean anything aerospace timeline is, you know, but we're getting into another episode possibly here. <laughs> what,
0: what about you? What what's your goal, dream, or past? Whatever you want to talk about.
1: Man, if it was the past, I know this was relatively a short-lived plane in terms of how successful it was for that little while. But one of my favorite planes is a U two, and I believe that plane was the the starter of Skunk Works. It really? was one of I- the it it might arguably one of the be one of the first planes to have started Skunk Works. And so that may not necessarily be true, but I know it being one of the most iconic planes coming out of Skunk Works as well. And so, yes, I would want to have worked on the U2 because that would also put me right next to Clarence Kelly Johnson. And that guy is, we need to do an episode on that guy.
0: We could yeah. do an episode. Oh. Hey, we could do an episode on that guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. <laughs> And then, and I, I mean, if, if you guys want to know the U-2, right, it's not a band. It is a band as well, but the U-2 is also, you know, a, a reconnaissance plane that flew so high that the Russians or the USSR at the time could not shoot it down. Um, it was short-lived, but right after that, it was the SR-71. And I think that's a, you know, that's a really iconic plane as well. Fastest plane ever made. But that really does go into a good transition of what my future would be. And I would want to work on the SR-72. Which we actually did talk about, yeah, we
0: did talk about that.
1: I wouldn't mind. I would. I wouldn't mind working on that plane because I think it's gonna. I mean, the the details that we went into regarding it, uh, it's just new technology and and the way that they're going to try to approach it. It may. I don't know how much homage homage or homage it's going to pay to the SR seventy one, but I think it's going to be a pretty um, pretty cool plane to have worked on, and we'll see how we'll see how it goes. You know, I, I think it's in its early phases as still in development but uh, maybe I'll end up working on it somehow depending on what company I'm with and uh, whether or not a lot of these companies all kind of help each other out anyways. And so I might still end up somehow working on it, even if I'm not in the the main company, which in this case would be Lockheed Martin. So you hear that Lockheed Johnny is your man. uh, I can, I mean, it could be any company to be honest, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's
0: planes that I would love to work on too. I don't know if it would be the SR 72, but like, I, I do have a fascination with hyper and you know, supersonic boom,
1: supersonic. Yeah.
0: I was, I didn't want to say <laughs> it, but right. yeah, I, I would take it. Hey, I would definitely.
1: Yeah, hey, here's, here's what, here's what will happen. Like I'll have my connections to the people with airplanes. You have your connections to the people with, you know, space stuff. And that's basically why we're friends with each other because like, I want to still have my exposure to space and, and you want your exposure to exposure to planes. Right, and so
0: today's a special day too, because, I actually got all my AI double A books that I ordered. Yeah. That you Laughed at me for. Andrew,
1: Andrew they can't see the books. <laughs> he's like I, showing I know, them I'm on the I know. I'm showing video. you.
0: I'm showing you <laughs> that I'm a fiend, and I ordered three AI double A books. Yeah. He's for those of you man. that don't know it. <laughs> don't, oh man, I don't know about that. But yeah. I mean, all right. Wait, but sure. but besides the book, before we end this episode, this week was pretty special. But do you know why, Jonathan
1: Yee? Is this our month anniversary?
0: This is I uh it might be I don't know honestly. I don't know <laughs> I guess I guess we should know that but we hit a, a hundred over a hundred subscribers and followers oh
1: there we go there we go so bro. shout
0: out to you guys for following we hope you enjoy our content thank you very much we do appreciate it and we, we hope you guys you like guys. it
1: yes and uh, we'll on that note why don't you, you send us
0: out oh um, I'm sorry I interrupted you
1: I cut you off ah man dude I'm so hurt but we, we <laughs> I mean you know closing thoughts we we hope you really enjoy our content and. If you guys have any questions or if you guys have any ideas on what we should talk about in the future, please email us at podcast at gmail.com and we will you know, hear you out. That's right. So with that, I guess all I got to say is we out. Bye, guys.